Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service that is dedicated to elevating great cinema from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial subscription, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. You and I will be young forever. You make me feel like I'm living a teenage dream the way you turn me on. Welcome back. Ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the We Review Podcast with FilmStage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Robin Barr. That is a cursed theme song. <laughs> it was very difficult to figure out what music to put in front of this episode. Like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think the problem is that most songs about like teenagers and being in love with teenagers are creepily uh, usually written and sung by older men. So it was difficult mm. to find uh, a song that did not go in the opposite direction. A song um, that's empowering. To, I was not <laughs> able to hear on my end what that was. It was Katy Perry's Teenage Dream. Oh, oh my God. Nice, <laughs> nice. Well, I mean, you could have gone with uh, Hot for Teacher. Oh, yeah. but she's not a teacher in this movie. She's That's a pet true. store a pet manager. Store true, 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 true. Yeah. Could have done a half a teacher. Why didn't I think of that? Well, doesn't matter. We did Katy Perry's Teenage <laughs> Dream. Um, and that other voice you just heard is our guest for today. Uh, previously with us for Fire Island and uh, even before that, right? Yeah, before that was No Time to Die. It's Kyle Turner. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming back. Uh, always good to know that people are actually willing to do that when they say it at the end of an episode. And you've returned twice now. So that's... that's of course. I, I'm w- wondering if I will be joining the ranks of Tom Hanks and Steve Martin. <laughs> yes. So you're going to get up there. As everyone knows, Tom Hanks and Steve Martin have been on this podcast many times. Um, yes. <laughs> Kyle, would you like to introduce <laughs> yourself to any new listeners that we may have? Yes, uh, my name is Kyle Turner. I am a freelance film writer based in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I've written for GQ, W Magazine, and the New York Times. And I also am the author of the book, The Queer Film Guide, 100 Great Movies That Tell LGBTQIA Plus Stories. Nice. <laughs> well well done, Robin. Thank yeah, you, Robin. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so it's so great to have you back, as I said. Thank you. And, and I'm a Todd Haynes stan. <laughs> All right, well, that's good, because I am not. Uh, so this will be... Uh, I just, like, it. it's not even like, oh, I hate Todd Haynes. I just, like, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I was about to say don't care, but that sounds even more dismissive. Uh, just, I, I totally derailed me, because I was trying to think of a pun to go with Beehive, like Beyonce's fans, but for Todd Haynes' fans, and I, I... I'm now just in awe of you saying that you don't like Todd Haynes or don't get Todd Haynes. All I all all I can think of for Todd Haynes is like Haynes is a brand of underwear. So like, but that's not helping mm. a lot. That's uh-huh. I don't think that's workable. Um, I don't know. I'm gonna let you. The Haynes hole, Haynes hive. Oh oh, I like that. The Haynes hive. The Haynes hive yeah. works. It's, it's alliterative. Yeah. Ta- insane for Haynes. In, um, insane in the Haynes brain. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. I'm going to keep talking through all the front matter. You guys can keep silently pitching these things and we'll see if you get to something better. 
But uh, before we get into our review of May, December, the newest Todd Haynes film, uh, which we'll be talking about, which is why we're talking about Todd Haynes, um, the the usual stuff up front. Uh, find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show, email us podcastfilmstage.com, give us a comment or rating on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you use. And don't forget to go to patreon.com slash show to give us your money. Uh, for as little as $1 an episode, you get access to our Slack channel. And you help us to produce these episodes. Uh, what else? We are brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service that is dedicated to elevating great cinema from around the globe. From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there's always something new to discover. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected, so you explore the best of cinema, streaming anytime, anywhere. Uh, I wanted to highlight a specific Mubi release, and that is The Age of Innocence. Wow. Yeah. Uh, love, I really like this love. movie. What? I know. What? It's like one of my least favorite Scorsese's. It's like one of the only Scorsese movies that I like. That's uh, each of you have said <laughs> an insane thing. So congratulations. You canceled you, each other you, out. You, 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 we both said insane things. Today yes. Yes. Agreed. You're like, oh, it's one of the only ones that I like. And Robin's like, ah, I don't like that one. It's just very strange to hear both of those opinions at the same time. <laughs> circling around this particular movie. Uh, the synopsis for movie in 1870s New York. Three wealthy socialites are caught in a tragic love triangle. Newland Archer is a noble attorney who secretly longs for a life of passion. When his wife's unconventional cousin returns to New York amid social and sexual scandal, Newland risks everything for a chance at true love. That's Age of Innocence. Wow. Ah, no, no, this is the Age of Innocence and its ability to systematize in the way that Scorsese likes to do this, like, particular Gilded Age society, I think reveals so much more violence than like Goodfellas or um, Casino. Uh, I like Casino or, or Mean Streets or whatever, because like they w- see themselves as above those other characters, but they effectively have the same very restrictive gender codes and sexual codes. Well, I don't even have to read any more copy about this. I feel like you did a better job <laughs> than you did. <laughs> And I was just going to make a joke like, oh, but how do they slot in the uh, Eric Clapton song in this movie? <laughs> but yeah, that's on movie right now. And if you're sitting here like, oh, man, I've spent all my money on Christmas presents. I can't afford to get movie and watch this uh, this movie that we've been gushing over. Some of us. <laughs> how, <laughs> how am I ever going to be able to do that? I've got good news for you. You can get a free 30 day trial subscription to movie by going to mubi.com slash film stage. Again, that's movie.com slash film stage for a free 30-day trial subscription. So do that right now, and then uh, let us know your thoughts on uh, Age of Innocence. That's it. That's I got nothing else. Yeah, break the tie, everybody. Yeah, oh, okay. Well, we... <laughs> You're shouting at me, too. It's not a tie. I, I like Age of Innocence, but I also like a lot of Martin Scorsese movies. So have I just created different ties? Is your favorite Silence? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, that's up there. It's really, it's really good. But yeah, I haven't either. (laughs) Good lord, I think like I don't, I don't want to be too basic, but it might be Goodfellas. I mean, Goodfellas is fucking awesome. Like, if I think about my favorite films from directors, it's usually the movie that I would watch again from them the most. 
It's mm-hmm. it's yeah. very rarely like like silence is like oh man like what a synthesis of all of his themes and stuff. But like if you put down the Departed and Silence and said pick one, I'm sorry, but I gotta go for the Departed. Like I gotta I gotta be there. I gotta you know talk about how people with cranberry juice are probably going through their period, and I'm not a cop. Like yeah, it's it's unfortunate. <laughs> I remember nothing about The Departed. Okay, some people just like cranberry juice, for the record. Hmm? (laughs) Some people just like cranberry juice, myself included. And also, it helps you not get STIs or cures STIs. I don't, something, I don't remember. Something about STIs. I don't know. It's natural diarrhea. (laughs) That is what I meant. UTI, not STI. Kids, um, (laughs) this is evidence use a condom everybody (laughs) don't just splash cranberry juice in your generals trojans cranberry condoms yeah yeah (laughs) this is is why such education in this country is so bad because everyone's depending on you to tell them what to do yeah are you from the northeast (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) everyone's just like i don't know this podcaster told me if i drank cranberry juice i wouldn't get stis I, I and it I wasn't would love Joe to be held responsible for that. <laughs> I, it would. I think it'd be good for book sales. It could. Oh, be. if you just <laughs> made some shit up. If you became the nexus of a new STI outbreak. <laughs> um, the way the rate at which gay people have sex, they wouldn't care anyways. I'm allowed to say that. Huh. Okay. On that I'm note. deeply confused and concerned. <laughs> I think, actually. No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> you can, you can cut that out. You can, you can. No, I'm keeping it out. in. Yeah, you're here, like, Patience, oh, these degenerates daddy. wouldn't give a damn anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I am not gay, so I'm not allowed to say that. Yeah. Oh man. All right. Well, this is this is already an interesting episode, and we are barely ten minutes in, and we're not even talking about a lesbian drama. Oh my god! Yeah, all right. <laughs> well, although Kyle might Did boy disagree. genius break up. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about May December, the newest film from director Todd. Uh, I almost said Todd Fields. Todd Haynes. How dare you? I I'm twice, sorry. twice. I heard a I, I heard like lesbian drama, and I was like, oh, Tar. Um, no. <laughs> 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 the newest film for director Todd Haynes, um, writers Sammy Birch and Alex Mechanic. I ass- I have to assume that's the way you say that. This movie stars um, Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore and Charles Melton, amongst many others. And um, this movie is not, at least uh, textually, <laughs> about a lesbian romance. No matter what the poster, the director the name, and uh, possibly even Netflix's terrible Twitter marketing might have you believe. This is, uh, I'm just going to read from IMDb because I like their synopses. 20 years after their notorious tabloid romance gripped the nation, a married couple buckles under pressure when an actress arrives to do research for a film about their past. Feel like that buries the lead, but it's still sort of kind of close. So this movie is out on Netflix right now, and we're here to talk about it right after I play you just a little bit of the trailer. How do you choose your roles? I want to find a character that's difficult to, on the surface, understand. 
Were they born or were they made? It's such a pleasure to meet you. You are so All right. So that is part of the trailer for May, December. I feel like in order to talk about this, I have to fill in the gap that the IMDb synopsis gave, which is that this couple who uh, their romance gripped the nation. Um, she was 36 and the the male in the uh, relationship was 13. <laughs> and now and it's based on Mary Kay Latorno. Yeah, yeah. It like. We can just say that, right? I know that someone had said, like, oh, Todd Haynes has, like, tried to, like, distance it from that. But it's pretty fucking clear. Like, it's... It, it is, is so... It's just... It, it is... It, like, she is very clearly the the archetype. But I think there's... I would argue that there is enough that is unique about this movie that makes it not... It is at least inspired her. or suggested by... Yeah. Yes, Mary agreed. I mean, it's a, it is its own thing. I but mean, she there basically are... has the exact same fucking voice. Like, there's so yep. much that's similar, and we, we can talk even more in as we talk more. Oh God, I'm not doing well tonight uh, about the similarities. I know that I shared that clip with you, Robin. That I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. Yes, the Twitter thing. Yeah. Yes. So, um, looking forward to that. But yeah, we're here to talk about this movie, and I'm super excited about it. Saw it a couple days ago, anxious to speak about it, so let's do that. But let's begin, of course, with our nutshell thoughts and start with our guest, Kyle Turner. What are your thoughts on May-December? Um, I think I come up uh, with a, a Todd Haynes fan um, name, the Hot Todds, Hot Toddies. Oh, oh yeah. Wait, yeah. so... I think you should go to the hot toddies, right? Like it should yeah, be a the hot, hot toddies. toddies. Hot toddies. That's um, your next book. Yeah. Um, hot, hot toddies, uh, persona swaps, um, melodrama, um, and the films of Todd Haynes. Um, but anyway, I love May, December. I've seen it three times. It's Damn. my favorite film of the, it's probably my favorite film of the year. Um, it's, uh, his best film since safe. It's, it is, Mm. everything it's basically everything that i've ever wanted in a movie so all right okay i definitely want to unpack that yeah that's a fucking it's i know that it's not that's the same safe but you said safe and i immediately was like oh the jason statham thriller from like five years ago (laughs) we are coming to may december from extremely different backgrounds All right, Robin Barr. And Beyonce a- taught me to love our differences. <laughs> <laughs> Robin Couple Barr. Therapy. Um, I thoughts? I really like this movie. Um, I mean, I do have some critiques of it, so I don't know if I'm as effusive as Kyle, but it's it definitely could end up in my top ten. Um, it. So number one, I'm I, I've just always had a fascination with the story that inspired it um, for so many reasons that I'm sure we'll get into. And so I'm familiar enough with the source material, but this takes it to such a, 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 a very different place. Um, firstly, I liked the framing of the story, you know, it, uh, so Natalie Portman comes to this sort of Island off of this, off of Savannah, this this sort of small Georgian island where the um, quote unquote couple, you know, the the woman who married the thirteen year old boy that she um, abused, they're about to celebrate their uh, their youngest children's graduation from high school. So they're kind of on a 
they're on the precipice of being empty nesters. And what, what does it mean when um, their family has, is going to be shifting so much and what is really at the heart of their, um, their connection, you know, once, once they're, they're no longer kids in the house. Um, Cause the husband is now the same age as, as the, a predator when she started to seek him out. So he's now 36. Um, so Natalie Portman comes to town. My guess is that the couple has get gotten some money off of selling the rights to their story. So they allow her to come to visit them. And they're, they're fairly open and friendly-ish. Um, definitely open. And, they, and they're okay with her interviewing, you know, the people that, that, um, that are part of their lives. So they, they don't really push back on that. So Natalie Portman kind of presents herself in some ways as a detective or a journalist. You know, she has that sort of peering eye, um, but her motivations are she's playing this character in a film. And so she wants to bring some authenticity there. So it goes a little bit beyond just like getting at the heart of a, of a mystery or something. And the mystery being how did these two people find equilibrium after such a scandal because the woman went to jail, gave birth to a baby in jail. I mean, it's, you know, as, as we said, it's a, it's definitely a tabloid scandal. Um, so the framing is very interesting. I think Kyle, you, I don't know if you brought this up, but you, you definitely call this like a, a, a story of personas. And it, it mm-hmm. did actually remind me a lot of the film persona, the, the Bergman, mm-hmm. um, which I think is very intentional because you have these two women who look sort of alike. I mean, it, I would never have said, oh, Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore, but there's something about the way that they're costumed in this film where um, they start to, they're both predators who kind of prey on each other. Um, and of course, poor Charles Melton, who plays the husband, kind of gets caught in between them. So I, I found the script to be very, effective for me. Um, some of the dialogue really works. I like the way that the family dynamics come through. There's a lot of subtleties. So it's, it doesn't quite hit you over the head with some of with some of those things. You really have to kind of peer, peer past the surface to really get at some of the, um, the tensions that aren't quite, you know, obvious. Um, it's not like an Emerald Fennel, Fennel movie. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, it really worked for me. The only big thing that I did not like about it, and Brian, I think you're going to laugh, I hated the music. Like, I hated what? it. Wrong, yeah. wrong, wrong. No, she's Sorry. correct. And, and she's we're going to talk more about correct. the music. <laughs> but it, it is, people are like, oh, this movie's so campy. This movie's so campy. I don't really think it's that campy. I think it's just the music is so overly dramatic and used in ways that sort of heighten heighten it that doesn't actually make sense for the story and feels incongruous to what it's trying to achieve. Um, but who, you know, I'm not the director, so maybe that, <laughs> you know, what, who's to say what it's trying to achieve, but it, it didn't work for me. And I will finish that monologue and hand it off to you, Brian. Yeah. I, um, I, I didn't dislike this movie. I I enjoyed many parts of it. I do feel as though everything I liked about it was present on the page. And mm-hmm. very little of what I liked about it was probably the work of... Uh, I mean, it, it's weird to say, like, the director, because the director made the fucking movie. So, like, I liked the performances. I liked the dialogue. 
but there there was that weird kind of overlay of this lifetime sort of aesthetic and and score that I again I'm sure was like on purpose and had and you know like has a reason to be there and was a part of the the plan uh from the start and everything but like I was not, that was not for me so like this is a movie that for me is clearly good <laughs> and has a lot to recommend to it but probably has a lot more to recommend for people who aren't me and don't have my taste um so yeah i don't know c plus b minus like i <laughs> so what, what what do you mean by what's behind the surface like like you know you have like this it's there's there's a lot of metatextual stuff like we get to see we learn a lot about this actress. Um, there's actually a point in this movie that made me laugh probably more than any other movie this year. And that's when we find out what the name of the television show that she's on is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nora's Ark. Arc. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Cause she, like you get like, she's like, oh, I should have taken this TV show. It's like, you know, really <laughs> derailed my career. And like, oh, I saw the episode where you like did surgery on an elephant. And she's like, oh, that's so embarrassing. And I'm just like, what the fuck is this TV show she's on? And <laughs> yeah, she's someone, a trashy TV star. And then someone comes up and is like, oh, I just love Nora's arc. And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, she's no Meryl Streep. That's she's 100%. Like... <laughs> uh, it feels she's like... Jessica Biel. It feels like a mid-2010s NBC show, right? Where they were basically like, start with a sort of punny title and work backwards. And she's producing this film as well. She's uh-huh. hoping it's going to be like her Sundance breakout or something. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. She's like, I'm finally going to... Like, we hear her accepting an award at some point, And it's clear that it's like a Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Award or something. Oh, uh-huh. God, really? I don't know. She's don't like, this. this award means so much because, like, you voted for me. And I, I don't know if it's, like, people's choice or, like... Right, right. I went Nickelodeon Kids' Choice because I think it's... <laughs> funnier to imagine i like that i like that idea (laughs) (laughs) um but i don't know like there's just something but like i didn't need the underlining of like like just the the music stings and the zoom ins and stuff like that that added for me very little to the story that i cared about in this which was these these people and what they were what they were doing and going through so that like the metatextual layer about like examining the cultural way that we kind of ingest these stories and create stuff from them, like lifetime movies or even like attempting to do more meaningful cinema about them. It it just like was kind of this layer that I don't think really activated anything for me and kind of got in the way of me just enjoying the story of of the human beings, which is what I was mostly there for. Um, we will at some I point s- have to actually have a conversation about the concept of camp, and that might involve defining yeah. it because I know that that's been a big thing people have been talking about too. I see what you're saying, but I do think that what you're the thing that you don't like about it or like isn't doing anything for you. Uh, for me, at least, is a feature, not a bug. Like right, absolutely, that- and that's why I'd said like. I think there's a lot to recommend in this. I think there's probably more to recommend this for people who don't have my particular taste. Cause like, yeah, I'm not going to say like he did it on accident. Like it's clearly there to Mm. be enjoyed by people who enjoy it. 
So yeah. Yeah. I'm one yeah. of those enjoyers. Right, exactly. Have you guys seen To Die For, the yes. Nicole Kidman? Because this movie, I think, is also in the same plane as that. And I, I really like there's that a, movie. There's a bit of irony and a, a mean streak in it in both films. But uh, I, I think I lean a little bit more towards May, December because it's, it's dealing with a few other concepts that I'm really interested in. Um, but, like, I think... Think the tension between the amount of um, intimacy that we are going to have, with, or or um, how privy we are going to be into the actual inner workings of these people's lives and their sense of interiority, uh, versus uh, the impulse to distance ourselves from it because it's too icky or because we don't actually care because this is ultimately spectacle. I, I also, I like that about the film. I, it, it gives me as much, you know, sincere, earnest drama as I, as I, I could ask for in Charles Melton. He gives a very, really raw performance, I think. Yeah. And is able to anchor it in being something very, very human, but I don't, I think what is fascinating about the film is the fact that both Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore are so unnatural. That natural (laughs) is a complete foreign language to both of them. Only one is more aware of it than the other. And it's a matter of like whether you think being aware of an unnaturalness to your identity or the way in which you perform and negotiate the world... um, whether that is um, a source of power or a source of weakness. Talk and, a bit more about the. Oh, go ahead, Brian. Oh no, go ahead. I was going to ask talk about more of the unnaturality that you're describing because um, I think you're you're right. And one of the things that I really liked about the movie is how it unfolds the layers of Julianne Moore's character Gracie um, because so much of that woman's persona is um, a timelessness, Mm -hmm. what she kind of describes as like an immaturity or a naivete. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But, but she wields that as a weapon and Mm -hmm. that this is not even me overanalyzing the character. Like she kind of talks about this. Mm -hmm. Um, Like there at some point in the film, she's kind of sniping at Natalie Portman's character Um, I think she feels threatened by her and she's talking about how she uses naivete as a, as a buffer, but that's not really how it works, right? Like you're either naive or you're not. So, Mm -hmm. so what is the, you know, what is truly there? Um, Clearly she's a little bit more savvy than she wants to appear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I like that inability. I, I, I like not knowing um exactly how in control these characters are and that destabilizing process but as far as unnaturalness i mean if we're talking about camp and whether this film is camp i i would say that it is i uh is very it's sometimes hard to so both hard and easy to fit into this conversation because if camp is um um a sensibility or like an acknowledgement of the a certain use of aesthetics that challenge normative taste or values and um really 
it, it's a way of consuming and, and recognizing um, either a naturalness where there shouldn't be or an unnaturalness where there shouldn't be. Um, and um, not valorizing it per se, but recognizing it as uh, as a language that you can become fluent in. Like uh, um, Mae West, obviously very camp because there is a cheekiness to the way in which she is saying these like single euphemisms or, or, or single entendres. She is, she is aware of how played up and how artificial um, uh, she, the, the, that is coming from her mouth, but she is using that like artificiality as a way to sort of inject like an earnest sense of sexuality within it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, so how would you describe this movie as camp for you? Um, oh yeah. And uh, going back to Todd Haynes and, and Todd Haynes and camp, what's uh, sort of uh, tricky about him is that like, he is so, he is so conversant in camp aesthetics and what is read as or framed as camp the way it's, it can be um, um, naive in the sense that it isn't aware of its sort of camp value or the way in which it is done intentionally. Um, he is so aware of like this, the signifiers of that, that it is so unclear sometimes as to whether the objects themselves are camp. Like the, the idea of making a bio musical about Karen Carpenter using Barbie dolls is very campy, but like the object itself is camp could be called camp only insofar as that it is so abrasive and um, elides um, such standard like aesthetics or, or um, traditions of, of filmmaking. Um, that is where you could sort of like call it camp. As far as May, December, I think because it has this aware of this like um, hyper awareness of performance and performativity, the way in which women uh, in sort of a conceptual sense um, must um, perform in a way that ends up that they are consumed by a broader cultural apparatus. Um, And the fact that like, he is using that as a way to sort of um, challenge the viewer with regard to how we ingest the spectacle of femininity. So, yes, I think it's sort of campy because of that awareness. And he's, like, pushing on these... I think he's pushing on these, like, clear pleasure points that, like, even, like, mainstream um, regular viewers are like, oh... These, uh, even if they're, they're not reading into all this, they're like, oh, these actresses are being catty. Um, mm-hmm. And it's that, and that I, I, I think um, there's a common I, assumption that like camp and its relationship to uh, female actors or, or actresses or, or female actors um, is that it um, sort of focuses on their histrionics. Um, mm-hmm. I think that camp is, things that get called camp when they may or may not be more often to give this, to give 
frequently gay men um, a chance or the supposed opportunity to access these people's lives as as opposed to actually engaging with them as real characters or people. And what um, May December does is it offers you initially the um, it offers the audience initially the opportunity to watch like two very famous actresses be um, bitches to one another. But actually, <laughs> what it is is the the components of who they are as characters and their values and their ethics is so much more despicable and craven it's just like it's not just like girl boss atomic blonde or um or um rosamund pike and gone girl these are people who are like very damaged uh do you not think that amy and gone girl is damaged i do think amy and gone girl is damaged but she's she exists in like a noir and those are i think intentionally exists outside of a plane of reality that melodrama is trying to heighten. But okay, I mean, like, so you, isn't melodrama yeah. also, like, through heightening, doesn't it exit our plane of reality? I mean, you could say but the I same thing it, about noir. Is Noir is just uh, reality with the cynicism turned up. Yeah, but I think the I think there's, like, more of a familiarity um, or, or a proximity to reality than in melodrama to reality than noir in reality. Maybe it's just because I'm like, like super depressed, but, but I find noir to be just as similar to reality as something like a melodrama would be. It's just which which aspects, which levels of saturation you're trying to boost. You know, for me, f- yeah, for me, like it's just like they both kind of exist in the same plane of, like I said, like we're going to take these specific, specific emotional uh, frequencies and boost them. You know, whereas in reality, like, you know, you get some gating on the reverb here. We're just going to, like, let it rip. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of how I look at it. I mean, I don't know. I've always had an in, a, a, like camp is is a thing <laughs> uh-huh. and it exists. Um, I, I find that <laughs> it's one of these things that people throw around a lot without seemingly putting any thought into what it means or what it portends. And like you were saying, it almost exclusively is applied to um, female stories. And so oftentimes when I'm, when I'm told something is camp or when someone defines something as camp, I either respond with like revulsion or like cynicism at the idea of whether or not it is camp. So homophobia. Uh, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I was about to say, I don't even know how we got there. No, usually it's just because I'm like, oh, so like you just think that a woman's story is inherently over dramatic and like that their emotions are inherently out of control. Like, like I, I really like, um, black swan and someone called that camp once. And for whatever reason, I just had this like really strong reaction to that because I'm like, for these characters, these emotions are are real, and it feels odd to try to define it as camp just because you think that like Natalie Portman is like showing too much face when she's having a nervous breakdown. It's it is funny you should mention Black Swan specifically because Dennis Lim wrote this incredible essay for Slate back when it came out, um, and it's an essay that it has really informed my perspective about like performance and film and, and um, 
camp studies and stuff. But he argues that Black Swan is camp, it is attempting to be camp about camp. Ballet is already camp because if camp is sort of um, a really, uh, basically um, an, an appreciation or an awareness of like the exaggerated nature of certain artistic impulses and and certain performative impulses um, and a recognition of the excess and um, the ornate um, ostentatiousness of certain things like Tiffany lamps or whatever. Um, ballet already kind of has that. And ballet, I believe, is like one of the things that Sontag wrote in No It's Not Camp, even though Camp does have origins prior to Sontag's essay. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that he, that Aronofsky is trying to take this thing that is already sort of um, exists in a heightened space of reality um, and is so like incredibly earnest with its aesthetics and try to do something on top of that that is sort of ironic because camp is also like, and and, uh, part of I think awareness and recognition is like a level of irony and a a level of like slight detachment. And so he is trying to take something that is appreciated with a slight detachment and irony and then do that with a slight detachment and irony, and then it but ends I don't up know that, canceling itself off. But that, I don't know that. Do you you think like ballet has detachment and irony in it? Like I feel like I think to when, the contrary, it's attempting to plug in even more directly and like. I don't. I don't know. I just like I, I as a person who loves ballet, it, it strikes me as weird to hear it defined in that way. I think that it has a penchant for like. Um, exaggeration right but is that the same thing like to me exaggeration alone does not make what i consider to be camp i think that there has to be that level of either irony or like missed seriousness is another uh phrase that i remember hearing uh with relation i've read a couple of i read like in the run-up to this i read a couple of writings on camp and unfortunately i took no notes and i (laughs) i can't remember who wrote it i want to say it was in maybe it was in Vulture or something, but if someone said like, you know, it's like a missed seriousness, you're like shooting for seriousness, but you overshoot. And so it almost has to be created in my mind. Like it's like a happy accident or it's, it's something like that. Like it feels weird to create camp in the attempt to make camp. Like, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, that's, it's not the same for some reason. Like the magic isn't there. And so it becomes a little more like you've layered artifice on top of artifice in an attempt to make a statement on artifice. So like for me, things that are camp accidentally or like with like the, just because they've like they've hit a peak, you know, like you your your voice has gone too high and you've shattered the glass. Like that's more interesting to me than someone who's like trying to fine tune for it. And camp is one of those things that like becomes very difficult to talk about and really modulate because it almost, you know, to my mind is one of those things where like you feel it more than you are able to like distill it down through a, a formula to prove that it is. Right. And I think the whole thing with what are like a really crucial part of her essay was that camp is a way of, of, engaging with something mm-hmm. that that it is not necessarily the object itself that is camp right it's almost like by by finding it to be camp it becomes camp right right so it's oh. these things are claimed as camp 
which makes something trying to be made in a style that is camp like astroturfy. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. It's there very, very it's very weird to me. Yes. I I mean I fully um admit that it's like it's slippery and and I I uh, should have like a um preface with like I do not claim to be an expert or the only voice about what is or is not camp. Well, Whatever yeah, I mean, people on I, the internet may tell you. Uh, <laughs> I would hope my friends, people I, they all... don't they they don't let they will not use people my friends will not use the word around me anymore because I will ask them what they mean by it. Well, yeah, and I think that's a smart thing to do, especially for something like this, where, like, we've spent the last five minutes just kind of, like, trying to get our arms around this, like, very aqueous, uh, non-solid thing, you know, and we've talked about what it is and what it isn't, and can it be, and, like, is it because it is defined as such, or do you, like, it's, and that, honestly, that's why art rules and why I love talking about mm-hmm. it. But yeah, I, I would hope that all seven people who listen to this podcast would know that no one here is claiming to be the sole voice of authority on anything and that we're only ever trying to like put forward our own ideas. So, but yeah. Except I for yeah. I would like to think of myself as an authority on croissants in Brooklyn. I'm I'm willing to give you that. <laughs> you can 100% be that. Yeah. Um, so uh, maybe it'd be helpful to have some some examples here because um, I think this is very interesting. So Kyle, you you brought up that there are piece there's art artwork that people might define as camp, but you don't actually think fits the bill. Um, do you have any examples? Ma. Oh, I think like a big part. Of, uh, I think part of camp um, is that it is somehow like subversive or somehow galling like um when you encounter it it's just like oh it the, it the the object is kitsch the the sort of talking about it and thinking about it is is and the experiencing it i guess is, is camp um and i i fully recognize that like i have been, i've written about camp several times but the more that i write about it I, the less certain i am of what it is <laughs> the kind of thing that camp does to you but i kind of Um, love that 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 to me almost i've had a lot of conversations recently with a friend about like religion and stuff and i think that if you if you were like looking into things like that and you find that your expressed knowledge and understanding of what it is becomes less certain that you're like doing it more right you're not Mm -hmm. allowing yourself to get Mm -hmm. like dug into a trenchant dogma where you think you know exactly what it is. Like you almost like accept the mystery, whether that be of the Eucharist or of camp. Like, Mm -hmm. and I love that to me, that's like the sign of like a true thinker on a subject. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But Ma, I think Ma, if it's like everyone is sort of talking in the same language, there's nothing subversive about it. And there's nothing sort of like, weird or accident as you were saying like kind of accidentally interesting about it ma is just sort of like uh this internet meme where isn't it funny that octavia spencer is sort of like playing this um what was that subgenre of movies that came out after whatever happened to baby jane which um, subgenre it was like a subgenre of like exploitation films that were like about older women um like nanny mm. exploitation or something or I, I love the concept of like grand exploitation or something yeah so. <laughs> yeah but it was like joan crawford was in straight jacket and yeah Barry davis was in hush hush sweet charlotte but 
Ma, I think, is trying to be that, but for the internet age, but because it is so keyed into a, a like a dialect that the internet is is already super familiar with. There's nothing like there's nothing weird about it. It's just that everyone mm. likes it and everyone thinks it's kind of kooky. I think camp has to be like um, it's something secret and shared between people in a way. That it's like if you it's like if you know you know. This is reminding me of the pornography debate. Like I have uh-huh, been uh-huh. Robin, I have been trying so hard not to bring up the pornography thing. Well to define it just You know it when you see it. <laughs> yeah, you know camp when you see it, you know porn when you see it, and otherwise it, it can't be defined, um, theoretically. <laughs> Yeah, and I, like the the yeah, I think the difference is that like I think pornography can be defined a little more easily than that, and I think yeah. that you can set out to make like my thing is again you can set out to make pornography, and odds are if that is your plan, you're gonna do it. You could set out to make camp, however, and just make a failure of a movie, like Saltburn. I have oh, not I seen like that it. yet, but. I- <laughs> Yes, you know it's funny because the big camp one. <laughs> I've been trying to. I I do think I do think that movie is sort of campy in, in its own way, but camp is not the only thing about it. And, um, you know, the way I've been describing it is like you've got to see this movie. I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying I liked it, and I think I can sort of be honest about that difference. And my uh-huh. friend Ingu watched it today, and she loved it. <laughs> What? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, check out her tweets about it. Ingo so, is such a singular critical voice. <laughs> no, really I fully are... agree with her. We and, and the way she put it, which I like, I hundred percent agree with, is she liked Saltburn as much as she hated Promising Young Woman, and I could not have described that any better for myself. Um, I liked it more. <laughs> <laughs> Without turning this into a salt burn episode, I will say that um, it is very beautiful, but I think it is extremely stupid. And I wouldn't mind. Oh, it's it so stupid. That's I why would, I love it. But I wouldn't mind if it were were stupid if it didn't think it was so deeply ridged. It's okay, like but to me, that sounds like camp. That thinks it's exactly. <laughs> well, I would describe the movie as having a camp element, but I don't know if Emerald Fennell intended it that. Can- it but that's be, what makes it brilliant. I don't think it's, don't think it's <laughs> camp if it's like shilling for old money. Why? I think that, no, I think, that, I mean, you know, again, like I haven't seen. Brian, you got to see the movie. I will because at some point, think, I'm sure. I do think that camp has like sort of a subcultural anti like hegemonic um, point of view. Yeah, but isn't wanting to eat the rich part of that? I don't know. That feels pretty oh, like mainstream to me. I, well, I do think the, the rich, rich is mainstream, but yeah, that movie is so movie eat is the opp- rich. But the, no, the movie is opposite of eat the rich. Well, so then that would make it non-hegemonic. You're like, right? Okay, yeah. okay, 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 okay. <laughs> okay, all right. I do think there are. I think you could pair Saltburn and May December as a as a you know a double feature type of thing. So I, I think I think why we was waterboarding too it. hard? <laughs> wow <laughs> wow no i i think there are some sort of thematic um similarities at, at least on the surface but 
Yeah, I, I think this is I think this is interesting. So do you define this as a campy movie? May, December. I'm more likely yeah, we've, been, to... we've been talking about camp for like 20 minutes now. You've better say I know. Yeah, yeah so we have a we need a final judgment. <laughs> <laughs> do you enter the kingdom of heaven or not? I um my my final decision is it is is that it is more a movie about camp than it is campy right and i think that it i i would agree and i say that in a bad way i think that that is (laughs) derogatory yeah exactly (laughs) that's my favorite thing to do is to say something and then write derogatory or complimentary after it Mm -hmm. it's become my new favorite meme format like i i watched oppenheimer again the other day and i was like such a what you said you're fucking sick. I wanted to see a good movie. Um, and so I wrote like Dane DeHaan is such a sniveling little piece of shit in this movie. Compliment. Compliment. <laughs> <laughs> nice. He plays that kid. Ca- he is. Oh my God. He needs, that needs to be like the only character he ever plays. He's so good at it. With I his, can't just even like tell his, you what Dane DeHaan looks like. I have no clue. He's like a human teacher. You forgot to give us homework wearing glasses. Mm. Um, Okay, yeah, I okay. can like, I change my answer? Yeah, yeah. I love that. <laughs> I would say that May December is campy, but not camp. Well, that doesn't make anything clear. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are things, I think like the pure pleasure of like watching like Natalie Portman make people uncomfortable by talking about sex and like doing that thing where she reenacts the moment in which um, the predator um Vi- like gets the prey. I don't know how, how else to phrase that. I think that is very upsetting and subversive, <laughs> and that is very camp. But like, um, th- as a whole, it's like just has some campy moments. Um, was anybody else? Is anybody else so sick of like weird sex in film this year? Like. No. I am no, make so it over weirder. it. <laughs> make it weirder. All right, then you gotta see Saltburn. <laughs> and you, you'll you have to see poor things. Yeah, I do have to see both. Is that weird, I'm, a, I'm actually, at this point, I'm almost positive that I'm not actually a part of the critic circle that I'm a part of anymore. And I'm not sure if it's because I, like, forgot to pay my dues or something or if they just kicked me out. Because I have gotten, like, almost no screeners Hmm. And uh, it's a little upsetting. So anyway, this has been your inside baseball moment for this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I do. Okay. I will. This is for another podcast, but I will argue that the poor things sex is weird. And that is all I will say for now. Is Are there people it, who are saying it's totally normal? Well, no, Kyle was like, is it that weird? Oh, okay. I thought, <laughs> I thought you were I like, guess I Look. just have a very high threshold. Clearly, Kyle. You know, I'm not a prude. <laughs> I, but I would say the sex in this movie also was weird. How was this? I, this I, sex wasn't that. I mean, okay. Aside oh, from yes, the, the oh, well. immense statutory rape, like morally, <laughs> it's super the, the statutory weird. rape just haunting this entire. Movie. I don't. Right, that's the thing. Like, I'm not going to call that weird. That's like a bu- a bunch of other adjectives. However, uncomfortable. Like Okay, uncomfortable is definitely how I would define almost all the sex in this movie. Like, Bo is Afraid is weird sex. This movie, <sighs> Poor uh, Things, <laughs> Saltburn, extremely uncomfortable. 
for moi. What's the difference between weird and uncomfortable sex? Um, okay, I, weird is in like when you say weird sex, I'm thinking like people in dog costumes like throwing peanut butter at one another. I think uncomfortable and I think you know, recreational or not recreational, recreations of statutory rape. Like uh-huh, uh-huh. Like one is hmm. one is like a aesthetic and the other is moral, maybe? Yeah, I did not like that. I I don't I don't decry it being included in the movie, but it's not yeah, I'm not gonna say really it's had it to look be away. in the movie. I mean that's like what the movie is about, but at the same time, like it's it is uncomfortable. <laughs> but it's uh-huh, not uh-huh. maybe weird. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Yeah, I think weird for me is like an aesthetic judgment. It's not like right. there's no there's no soul behind it like i'm not about to try to you know i yeah i don't know <laughs> so are we saying that may december is weird or uncomfortable i'm uncomfortable. saying uncomfortable <laughs> yeah okay. maybe i just misspoke but basically i'm i'm kind of using weird as a as a your phrase for like sex that is not sexy uh-huh definitely not sexy i know that but <laughs> That being said, Charles Melton has a big wang. He is, yeah, he's he's well endowed. Yeah, I, well, maybe it's I missed it. Not real, but it's um, it's it. <laughs> I very, must have missed it because I, I remember his huge. Butt. It's huge. I saw it and I was like, yeah, that's about. St- oh, I was. I was <laughs> <laughs> that's about standard. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not standard for anyone. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. I guess. Brian Trevor. I, okay, okay, here's the thing. Bigger I didn't, or smaller than Barry Keoghan's. I, I haven't seen Barry's. I, I will say, I'm asking I didn't, Kyle. I didn't pause oh, the movie. It's way bigger. It's really it's it's huge. I missed it. Was I looking at my phone? <laughs> Maybe it's on the it was, it very is difficult on the top, to miss. It's on top right of the screen or of the frame. Yeah, it's pretty much okay. Like right maybe there. we should just be like spoiler alert. <laughs> you see some going- dick. <laughs> We're going into spoilers now. Yeah, sure. It's a sex scene between yeah. Charles Melton and da, 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 Natalie Portman, <gasps> who he accidentally calls Gracie. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yep. And he has like three thrusts and then it's over. <sighs> and the only reason she seduced him was to know what it was like to fuck him. And, and there was no other motivation beyond her uh you know actorly whims yeah she's a soul thief it's incredible who amongst mm-hmm. us i'm right <laughs> is not a soul thief oh no yeah i've gotten yelled at by friends for writing too much uh, like like um characters that are too similar to them in fiction oh mm-hmm. interesting writer steal that's literally what a writer is yes 100 yes. first of all you don't steal a tomato to make a tomato sauce all right you <laughs> oh man yeah no um so you definitely see his dick they definitely have sex she says that's just what grown-ups do which is like that is such a good line cutting and gutting well because he's all like i thought we had a connection you know because he's such like a whatever demisexual and (laughs) derogatory (laughs) (laughs) and then she's just like this is what grown-ups do we bang when we you know look at each other 
First of all, that's the opposite. That's what children do. <laughs> like that is what like yeah, like it's it's just great cuz there's so many layers to how fucked up that statement is. And I don't like, know. I I think grown-ups do sometimes just have sex because someone is there. I think that anyone who does that isn't acting as a grown-up. I think that they're acting as like an an impulse control problem child. Like that's not the way to act. But again, if that's like how I that's how I respond to these things. Also, I feel like you don't do that to someone who you're examining okay. the ways in which they have been sexually traumatized by their okay. relationship yep. with a not, 36-year-old woman when they were a teenager. I am not defending I, I, on the record, I'm not defending Natalie Portman or or her character's actions as it pertains to Charles Monson. I don't know. It However, sounds like you think she's a paragon I, of virtue. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that and talking about hot kids to cast in her movie. To, to, um, oh my god! That's so. This is the thing. That was These are so the moments great. where I'm like, I like this movie. Because it's so cynical. It's yeah. It's yeah. It's it's very cynical about. This thing of like, I want to, I want to locate in this woman. It's like, maybe she's just fucking terrible. Like, there's, yeah, yeah. And there are people like in this that. movie who just come out and say that. And she doesn't like take in like any of what they're saying. She's like, no, there's got to be more. Yeah. She's I like think, uh, sexually aroused at the idea of her brothers having abused her. Gracie's brothers having abused her. And then she's like <laughs> kind of deflated when she thinks it might not have happened. Because she is trying to find, like, the superhero falls into a vat of chemicals moment for this woman. But the maybe super she's... supervillain origin mm-hmm. story. Yeah, but, like, someone in the movie said... I think, like, within the first two minutes of the movie is, like, maybe she's just a horrible human being. Yeah, maybe mm-hmm. she just has a personality disorder. That was it, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, uncurable. So yeah, things like that I like, but then like you get the the music stings and stuff, and I'm just like, I don't know. Like, but but aren't they part and parcel parcel with each other? No, the to music? me they completely undermine all of the emotional uh, <laughs> bandwidth that I'm like pouring into the movie because the movie then seems to be saying, why the fuck do you care? Like, I care because Charles Melton is giving. I mean, I would say awards worthy, but it is now an award winning performance as a man who is trying to. What come did he to win, grips. Gotham? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, trying to come to grips with like this, this imp- like the, what has been <laughs> done to him, and then the movie like throws a fucking whoopee cushion in there, like it just and it doesn't. Yes, yes, it doesn't. Or, work okay, or the uh, animal metaphors, which we're getting like a little over the top for me. And then uh, one of our fan listeners um, was like, well, to me, that's just how the movie represents its campiness, um, which maybe I, I, you know, so <laughs> um, Charles Melton's character, uh, I forget his name. Joe. He, what? Joe. Thank you. Joe raises butterflies. <laughs> I'm sorry, but like, that's are you gonna hammer me over the head um so he does butterflies and then they met in a pet store Mm -hmm. so there are uh, some scenes and a a particularly good final scene or one of the final scenes where gracie is compared to a snake and it's just like you know the symbolism doesn't have to be so blatant um but again maybe that's the music maybe it's just like 
but I want to smash her skull in with this. And that is my role as the director. Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> I I I like the tension between the the like real drama of it and the sort of distancing of like, oh, you are watching a drama and you're like eating up these people's lives. But I I understand why it's not to to everyone's taste. Right? Yeah. For me, it's it's like um, I don't know. Like I, on this on this podcast, I like I've I've like made a a name for myself as being the most like vocal vocally anti pedophile person. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I was waiting for this. You can what? go back and you can go back and listen to uh our episodes on licorice pizza and fucking uh call me by your name. I love how you're like I'm the most anti pedophile as if we're all like pedo lovers. Well yeah Robin was was deeply uh into the idea of a twenty eight year old sleeping with it. I can't remember how old the guy from <laughs> well, licorice I... pizza was I did say about to defend Natalie Portman, so. You did. Yeah, you did that. No. Um no, but like when it comes to it like you know, if if people want to go back and listen to the oral nightmare that is our call me by your name episode, like I there is a ve- I have a very strong stance on this, which is that like oh like pretty much under absolutely no situation is this ever fine like for fuck's sake, Jesus. And this movie makes it even oh, don't- easier because he was 13 years old and that is I feel like even the people who have defended these uh, cinematic relationships in the past would have to say, like, yeah, 13 might be the floor. Like, you might not be able to get away with that. <laughs> the basement, honey. You know, if it's like, if he's not out of middle school yet, that's like a problem. <laughs> that is a real, yeah, that might be the line. Um, Kyle, what were you going to say? Oh, I was going to defend pedophilia. No. Um, <laughs> oh, Christ. Were you going to hit us with the, well, first of all, it's technically hebophilia or a fever. Uh... Oh, no. Um, I was going to say that although I think Call Me By, By Your Name is a bad movie, I do defend the age difference of being, they're like 17 and 24. Is it 17 and 24? The, yeah, I think it was seventeen twenty-five. I don't know. It was still not great. Um, yeah. So, like, for that, uh, that's one of those ones where, like, if the movie is flawless, if it's like really well done, I think maybe you could get me over the hump, right? Because it is like, oh, he's on the pre- pre- precipice of manhood or whatever. I just don't uh-huh. think that, that movie did a good enough job with that. Um, I, I, I don't care for that movie. All right. Cool. Um, oh, we're we're all on the same page about that. Movie. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Yay! We did. And you know what? We all, I think, what what Brian is describing, what what you're describing, like we're all on the spectrum of appreciating May December. I don't think we're saying yeah. this is like a piece of shit. Uh, we just have different tolerances for for what it's doing. Uh-huh. Frankly, I gave this uh, three and a half out of four stars, so I very much liked it. It could end up in my top ten. There were just very specific aesthetic choices that kind of got on my nerves and I want to tangent real quick like the fucking um, piano music <laughs> so my <laughs> I wanted to share that my husband also goes by a four star rating um and he says he has never given a movie four stars he doesn't believe in he doesn't believe in the fourth star he thinks that is 
unachievable perfection. So the highest he'll ever rate something is three and a half. So really, he's got a three and a half star system is what he said. <laughs> That's what I said. It's so stupid. In that case, just make it a five star system and only go up to four. Like, why right. are you making it that much harder for yourself? I mean, I'm I'm not going to uh, disparage my husband, but it, I basically <laughs> said the same thing. It's like, you might as well just have, you know, the unattainable, perfect, perfect film as five stars and just give Goodfellas four stars. It's like I had a teacher in like the seventh grade who gave us a rubric, like a grading grid or whatever for like a project we were doing. And like, we got a C on it and we're like, but we hit everything on your stupid rubric. And she was like, well, if you like hired a landscaping crew and you paid them to cut your lawn, (laughs) but then they also did your hedges and all this other stuff, wouldn't you give them more money? And I was like, yeah, but I wouldn't fucking not give them the money you promised to pay them. Anyway. (laughs) Wow. That is wow. Uh, that is a moment that there. is seared into my brain and will never leave. And on my deathbed, I will remember that Harridan. <laughs> Harridan. Yes. Okay, now wow. Brian is camp. Now I'm camp. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's Very what's happening Edward right Albie now. Of you. Uh, um, <laughs> I tried to get a Tony Award for acting theatrically in real life. In everyday life. <laughs> So, so I want to talk about the performances because I think, so I really love the script, but I think it's the performances that really uh, push this movie forward. And there's so much momentum there. Um, so, and Brian, maybe this is the time to bring in that Twitter clip, but oh my God. Julianne Moore, yeah, I could not fantastic. tell what she was. I thought she was great, but at, at the very start, I could not figure out what she was doing vocally. Um, at some point, like one of the first things you hear her say is she's crying and she's mad because her husband, she's crying in bed. One of the things that she does a lot in this movie and she's <laughs> annoyed because her husband um, was smoking cigarettes and she is disgusted by this. And he, she wants him to take a shower, but it's, he just keeps like removing clothes, whatever. And at some point she just goes still smoky. <laughs> And I was like, wait, what? Like, it it did not, I wasn't computing that this this character that she's playing has a speech impediment. I'm not making fun of the speech impediment, but it's just, it's it's such an affectation that I kept thinking like, what is, what is this choice here? This is some like Nicolas Cage shit. I 100% (laughs) didn't realize that she had like a speech impediment lisp kind of thing going on until... I think they were putting makeup on, which is yeah, like fully an hour really and a half into the movie. I was, like, but it comes and goes, and I'm like, I think it comes and goes because the character is putting this on, like mm-hmm. as a as a shield. You know, right. like I was like, oh, she's naivete. like acting more child. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. But also, I was like, maybe I just haven't been paying enough attention to this movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> it also gives um, Charles Melton's character uh, an opportunity to act "quote unquote" paternal towards her. Yeah, yeah. So it, I like, it was I, interesting. I really liked her. That scene where she negs her daughter into getting a different dress. Uh huh. So brave of you to display your arms. I just love how you don't adhere to like traditional beauty standards, like showing your arms (laughs) like that. And I'm looking at this girl's arms. I'm like, she's got fucking cute arms. I don't understand what the problem is. Like, 
Yeah. So very um, weird. That was like, I and yeah, wanna... I was like, I know. So this was another part where I'm like, if I don't fucking see this girl in the dress with sleeves on it by the end of this movie, I'm going to be furious. And luckily, she's in it like right at the end. And I was like, perfect. This script is flawless. Because <laughs> I needed, um... I need. It, it had to be one of those things where I'm like, if I see her wearing the dress later on. That tells me a shit ton about her relationship with her mother. Like, is she going to rebel mm-hmm. against her or is she going to like give in and like, cause she's like really likes the one without the sleeves. And then she comes out the other one and is like, Oh, that looks so much. Oh, it looks so great on you. And meanwhile, like the older sister's like, what did she like came home and like fully changed her hair and was like, do you think mom's going to freak? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, the, Oh, well, okay, yeah, the great. girl has, there's so many subtleties here that the movie doesn't even, spell out for you like one of the things i liked about it and and my husband disagreed because he wishes that there was more interrogation of the children and how they felt about the way that their parents got together but what i like that that all came out through without having it be a an an interview um you know you can tell that there's a lot of resentment there And, and the older girl who the one who's already at college um she comes home and she starts sort of being very snarky with her mom saying like, Oh, you gave me a scale as my graduation yeah. present, mm-hmm. uh, which like, no, I thought was, was interesting. Not, like what, that was not your present. That's just something I got you to help set you up in your new life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but obviously, yeah, uh, there's obviously tension there and the movie doesn't have to, you know, hammer at home. It, it just exists. And I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that the film doesn't really explicitly say, it kind of shows you th- through images, is that that was the child that was born in jail. Yes, um, right. And so we, at some point we see Natalie Portman going through old, you know, People magazines, old, mm-hmm. you know, tabloids um, to kind of understand this character. And it, it is very much inspired by slash based on Mary Kay Latorno. Um and I think one of the ways that the film showcases that is that, you know, they, uh, so in the real situation there, this woman, Mary Kay Letourneau, who was a teacher, she was a married, I think woman of 34 or something like that. She was, um, had four children of her own. And at some point she was, I think, tutoring or teaching this 12 year old boy. Um, I think his name is Vili Falau. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but he's, uh, of, I think Samoan descent and they had this, quote unquote relationship, aka she raped him and they got caught. She went to prison for a little while. And I think at some point she was on probation and they got caught hooking up again, like in a car or something. And then she went to jail. Like it was this thing where they just couldn't um they couldn't tear themselves away from each other. They eventually got married. They had children. And I think I don't remember exactly the years, but a few years before she died in 2020, they did separate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think Billy Flau has come out and said exactly how he feels, but there are some rumors that he started to kind of realize as he got older and, you know, probably around the age that she was when she hurt him, he kind of came to his senses about like the healthiness of that relationship. And you know, Brian, I think a lot of people kind of watch this movie thinking like, oh, this is like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge kind of movie. But uh, Brian came across this clip from Twitter that almost exactly mirrors a dialogue scene 
toward the end of this film where Charles Melton, um, who plays Joe, is like trying to confront his wife and just saying, like, can we actually talk about what happened? Like, I'm I'm feeling unsettled about this. And she's like, well, who is the both? Who is the both? And she just keeps like your your impression of her is incredible. I mean, she just kept keeps saying that, like, right. Oh, well, you were the you were the pursuer. You, you were in charge this whole time. Like, you know, I was the I was seduced by you is essentially what and she's he's like. I was 13. Right. And it, and it's an and it's a crazy scene. Not the craziest in the movie, because I do want to talk about those. But Literally it is, any scene where someone's so pointing yeah. at them is go is the craziest scene. I can't even fathom hearing from a stranger like oh yeah we got together you know i was a little young i was like 13 and she was like 36 like yeah it's just so fucked it's not even like it's not even like i was 18 and she was 41 you know it's like it's not the gap it's the the developmental stage the other partner was at you know like right right and and age gap discourse has gotten a little out of control recently (laughs) um (laughs) i like people that i i don't even Actually, I'm not even going to bring it up because I can't even tell if it's satire or not. So I won't even bring up the thing I was going to talk about. Okay, tease us. Like, why don't you? But anyway, so Brian. Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. That's all I'm going to say. How old is Travis Kelsey? But here's the thing it wasn't even about their actual biological age, it was about like the perceived maturity of each of them and in the the thing that was brought up they were saying that taylor was actually the predatory one because okay, for whatever reason they deemed him to be the less mature it's this is what i'm talking because about because he's so had so stupid. many brain injuries as a football player i think that yeah. that's part of it <laughs> yeah. yes in all honesty she I writes think pretty poetry like and that. he's a ding dong like that's right. what yeah. they're saying yeah okay anyway um so so brian you sent sent me this clip i don't know if you can play it um Oh, I mean, possibly, yeah. Like, give me, give me yeah. like twelve seconds. Keep vamping okay. while I pull this clip <laughs> up. And... So, so they have the scene where she just keeps going. Well, you were the both. You were the both, and 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 she's not even letting him respond. And then he says something that is totally devastating. And he's like, "If our, if we are so in love as we say we are, then mm-hmm. how come we can't have this conversation?" And she uses that as a weapon against him. <laughs> All right, let me. I'm gonna see if I can play this. So everyone, uh, hold, hang on to your hats. Mm-hmm. You can say that. I am saying that. I was by age. I was by age. And by this is the real Mary Kay Letourneau. You maybe. You were a teacher, Mary. You can't matter. say I was immature. But you don't know him. No, but I don't need to know him in this discussion. He's the child. Who was I'm the talking boss? about you. Who was the boss? Who was the boss? What? Who was the boss back then? You know, there was me pursuing you. Who was the boss back then? (laughs) This is ridiculous. No, who was? Who was? Just say. Just say? Who was the boss? Well, I knew it was what I knew back then. But who was the boss? He was 13, Mary. But who was the boss? This is getting weird. Who was the boss? Who? I'm pursuing the relationship. Who was the boss? Well, I was the pursuer. Yes. Mary, even as you're but hearing this now, come on, he was 13. It doesn't matter. It absolutely matters. Oh, well, flaw me. 
I am in okay, so I, many <laughs> aspects of my life. I am that, I guess, probably Australian journalist. Yeah. Just being like, but it, oh my God, guys, like, what the fuck are we talking about? Like, are you. So clearly, my, I conflated them because she doesn't, in the movie, she says, who was in charge? I, who's in charge? Who was in charge? But like, it's definitely the mirror. It's definitely mirroring that. It's the yeah. yeah it's it is, oh, it's exactly yeah, mirroring without it. like being a plagiarist. Like there's you yeah. can look at those two things and be like, I think they were unaware of this exchange. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's crazy. Oh my god, it's and it's it's um and it says a lot. And again, like you could say like, oh well, blah, blah. But I think it does just come down to personality disorder at a certain point. Like yeah. I and definitely started not... thinking about Woody Allen, though, because he and Sunyi mm. have been married for 30 something years. Um, and at some point, like when one of my I'm not defending Woody Allen or anything like that. But at some point, like, are we taking away this like 50 something woman's agency by dismissing the relationship she chose to be in for the last 30 years? Or like, are we just going to be like, oh, well, she's brainwashed and groomed and blah, blah, blah. I have no way to answer that. I don't. I don't. I don't think there was any <laughs> answer to it. But I did think of it when watching this movie. We but should ask Twitter. Yeah, let's just put no. That out in there. <laughs> and, um, um, I remember, remember when the profile, the New York yes. Magazine profile of Chingy came yes. out? Yes. Ah, what a day! I do not remember that. When was that? Was that recent? That was before was like, he got quote unquote canceled. Yeah, it was like maybe a decade or so ago. It was okay. around. Yeah, it was around. I think around. Yeah, it was around midnight in Paris, and um, there was, amongst the other sort of um, dubious components of wanting to profile Sunyi in the first place, um, Mm -hmm. there was, like, a whole thing about access, because the journalist who did the story was a friend of theirs, and um, the questions that were asked may not necessarily have been as... um, uh, pointed or uh, necessarily functional to get at what like quote unquote truth in journalism is supposed to be or mm-hmm. quote unquote supposed to be. So there's, there's possibly a conflict of interest, basically. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, so this 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 scene, both the, the one that we listened to and the one in the movie, it really brings up a lot of why I think that something like this can can be accepted to the point that it is where these people aren't like hounded out of town because like there is a there is an aesthetic and you could even say like racial component mm. to it because it's like well you know she's like the the white woman and he's like the exotic like uh, what what would you you can't even call it wise beyond his years but like <laughs> developed beyond his years like boy and oh how could she like there's and and it's all stuff that she's like internalized to make it make sense to her. Even as she is counting his beers and telling him to move his uh, butterflies, as mm-hmm. though she is his mother. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's so it's just so completely fucked up. And it's it's it is. I I was happy in this movie when I found out about how um, much of a pariah she actually was in society in this place. Like when you find out that the people ordering baked goods from her are the same people just ordering again and again just to be like nice <laughs> yeah like, oh good <laughs> like let's just keep stripping away the artifice i'm mm-hmm. fine with it one of the things okay. i appreciate about this movie is that there is so much crying related to baking and i just uh-huh. that. <laughs> uh-huh. coming out of the pandemic i think we're all very familiar with 
cry baking. Crying about baking. Yeah. That My sourdough starter. Charles Melton character just <laughs> comforting me after uh, a fuck up. What are you baking? Oh, I'd like to bake cakes. Yeah. I do bread. Uh, I've started doing muffins again. Nice. I can make like a good chicken, chicken pot pie. Oh, nice. Do you make your own crust? I do. Oh, Damn. Oh, my God. Yeah. Is it a vodka crust? A boba? A vodka crust? What, what's a vodka crust? It's where you add, so it's like a butter crust and you add vodka to give it more flakiness. Oh. The, the alcohol burns away, but it creates like lamination. Oh, oh interesting. I do yeah. do the butter and, and, um, uh, um, what's the pig fat that's not pig fat? Crisco or whatever? Crisco, oh, yeah. yeah. Crisco is just vegetable oil. Yeah. I do do that. But, um, what's the, uh, what's the one that, no, I guess it is Crisco. I was about to say, there's one that actually is like, Animal fat, though, isn't there? Like shortening. You get like shortening. Shortening. Yeah, yeah, shortening. Yeah. But that's Crisco. Oh, is it? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, otherwise, lard would be the pig fat. Lard, lard. Yes. So pedophilia. <laughs> Say more. Not, not good. Don't do it. <laughs> do we have any oh, defenders? God. Do we have any not defenders? Anymore, no. Among me? No. <laughs> I, I mean, I have to say that like... um. One of the things that I do like about this film is that it's so uncomfortable to watch. That it is pressing on these like deep-seated cultural taboos that we have about sex and relationships and the um, power dynamics that exist within them. And by sort of pushing them to their most extreme, mm-hmm. um, I think it allows the layers to to. I, I think like by looking at like a really extreme relationship, it allows the the layers of everyone else's to to be um, made more apparent. The fact that there's like they talk to each other um, in a like very parent child way, which is something that almost every couple does, but it's not it's not perceived as weird because they normally are much they're in like more consenting and closer in age relationships, but it's still like nurturer nurtured dynamic going on there that like is obviously formed and facilitated at a very early latent stage of, you know, childhood. Right. And usually in a, in a, in a equitable relationship, there would be like some trade off of like, Oh, like when it comes to cleaning, I'm the one who sounds like a parent, but when it comes to, I don't know, grocery shopping or something. It's when the, she becomes the, per- like in this, it was just like, there's never a moment where he gets that. Like the only person who he able is able to talk to on like an equal footing is whoever he's DMing with about butterflies or his kids. Yeah. Oh mm. dude. Like he has that, like he hits that joint with his son. Uh huh. And I was like, yeah, like you're just, you're just so close in age. And again, like when something like that happens to you, I'm sure that you get like locked in. You get kind of like encased in amber in a certain time. Mm -hmm. It's just so difficult to imagine like trying to do that and just like stick with it. It's I can't I couldn't even like it's and I think it's to the movie's credit that you watch these two people and you're like, oh, these are acting more like like friends. Like he seems more equal to his children. Mm-hmm. And like again, that's to the credit of the writing and the acting and and the film itself. But like, again, what's also sad is that he isn't gonna, he doesn't get to have the childhood that his kids get to have. Like, right, and he that he, he even says that. I mean, that's why he starts breaking down 
with his son. Like it's because mm-hmm. he's 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 like basically like you know sometimes bad things happen. And like you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. And he's he's trying to give them this life, and it's like a life that he never had. And it's it's very sad. It's incredibly. And I liked the the not like the knowledge that the movie brought in in that way. I liked everything that it had going for it along that line. But again, like just that fucking piano would come in every now and then. I'd just be like, why are we doing this? Uh, like there's, you know, I, I, I'm, I was so in tune and so wrapped up emotionally in, in what this movie was showing us of Melton and what he's doing and everything like that. And then like, it would just like ricochet back to this, like, like sort of weird tragic comic other stuff. And I was just like, but why, why are we like undercutting? Like, why do we need the irony? Like, why, why are we trying to insulate ourselves from the horror of this? Like, do we not trust that people are just going to be able to like hang out with the reality of this? Like all of the chatter I've seen online and granted, like the fucking internet's a hellscape, but like all of it's like, Oh, like camp and Julianne Moore eight. And, you know, Natalie Portman is really like digging metatextually into her own history of playing real life women. And I'm like, the movie is centered on a 13 year old boy who is sexually assaulted and groomed and then entrapped by this woman who still has him on a short lead. Like, why are we not talking about the moral terror at the heart of this movie? And is it because we're like afraid to? Is it because the movie's giving us outs where we don't have to? Is it because everyone is is having much more fun talking about the camp aspects of it? And so we don't feel like we need to. But I mean, like, he won an award for it. It's just weird. <laughs> It's weird that the movie has created an artifice so that I've seen more people talk about the I think we don't have enough hot dogs line than yeah. about the 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 incredible like social damage that we could be talking about if the movie just was more clearly invested in in th- this fucked up thing that happened to this kid. I don't know. I, you know, and maybe, I, you know, that's not what the movie wants to do. But like, I think that, that would be a more interesting movie and it would work better for me. And it, it, it feels a little flippant to create these layers of irony to insulate people or, or to allow them an out from actually having to like stare more directly at what it's doing. I understand where you're coming from and what you're saying. And I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> and you're a terrible person. No, um, I, get that a lot. I, uh, I get. I guess it's just like I don't think the movie is is as much about Charles Melton as it is about these two women and how they're. Right, that's, that's true. Like fucked up. Like you know, and I I could jump into a lot of identitarian stuff about uh you know of course like the 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 man of color is being sidelined for these two white women to do whatever. But like even beyond that, like he's 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 just like this poor. He's like a victim at the center of this narrative and the narrative keeps glancing over to talk more about Natalie Portman being an actress. Like it's, it's weird that a movie that could be very much about a marginalized person, like a person who is, is pushed to the margins by the person who has gaslit him into believing that they are meant to be together 
is instead so focused on like, oh, Hollywood artifice is weird. Oh, like whenever we decide that we want to do something like this, what are we really saying? Like, I don't know. Like it's, it's everything that I love about this movie is centered around the story beneath the three other stories. And I, I find that frustrating when I'm trying to stay with that. And instead I have Natalie Portman writhing on a storeroom floor <laughs> as this fucking piano just gets trounced on by us cat on Coke. <laughs> like, I just, it was so uh, like the, I, I, I said to our Slack group at a certain point, like I'm about to rage quit this movie just because of this music. Like the music consistently seems to be mocking me for finding the movie to be emotionally effective. Yes. And I, I am not this. a fan of that. <laughs> like, if that's how you feel, don't make this movie. Yeah, and I, I do agree with Kyle that the movie is much more about these two women and the push and pull between them. And I did not find that as compelling. And I definitely felt a little like, oh, here we go, another monologue about you know Elizabeth's acting philosophies. And it's and it's all done in service of satirizing the character like i don't think the movie is like entirely on her side or something but it is it's very much um like a hollywood like auto analingus moment where it's just like you know actors all they want writers wanting to talk about writing and actors wanting to talk about acting and it's just like do the fucking thing i don't need to hear about it so yeah. I've read a weird amount a, of novels this year that are written from the point of view of a writer writing the novel. And I am yeah. over it. <laughs> I, I I just I, find that to be like, get another perspective, you know? I do think we have reached um, peak saturation of um, like artists making the art as, and that is like the text itself and, mm -hmm. the, and the continually breaking down the fourth wall. Yeah. To reveal there's no there's another wall and another wall and another wall. Yeah. However, I, I was gonna say I, that. Yeah, I the, I have read two novels now in a row where I'm actually enjoying that. So maybe I've just been reading the wrong ones. But America, or, um, Erasure by Percival mm -hmm. Everett was great, super metatextual, but still very good. And now I'm reading The Shards by Brady Stanellis, and I'm like, oh fuck, of course he's doing it well. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, no, mm -hmm. not even of course. I haven't liked his last couple novels. Anyway, so. It can still there's, be done well. There's a problematic fa fave. Uh, yeah, you want, yeah, that is not. You're not lying. <laughs> um, um, I don't know. I didn't like. I think there are definitely um, specific cues that the music is drops or needle drops where it is supposed to be ironic and funny. But I was on board. I like the music just sincerely. I think it does work as as. Um, just an instrument of melodrama. I don't think it's like any different than like the sweeping strings that are in like all that heaven allows or whatever. Mm. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I just like, there's something about this particular story that I feel like you don't need to dip into melodrama. <laughs> like you don't, I'm not sure what it's but served for me at least. And obviously by everything I've said, it, it actually is, is whatever the opposite of served is. It's hindered by that attempt to, to cover it in melodrama. You know, like I'm, I'm a fan of heightened emotions. Like that stuff is great, but I feel like in this case, it, it only serves to, to help the 
the actress, you know, following the the subject thing. And meanwhile, there's just this like real, actually important story that's in the background that's kind of getting covered up. I found all of his work with a phone texting this person who he's clearly having a, a one-sided emotional affair with yeah. to be so much more interesting than than anything happening with Elizabeth and Gracie. Like, you know, they're uh, okay, like... Okay, that's where we differ. Right, like they're having this little like, oh, like, let me just put my makeup on you. And I'm like, go back to Joe and his monarchs. Yeah, uh, I kind of uh, feel the same way. Wrong. I don't no. give a fuck about this failed actress and this yeah. horrible woman, like, show me this guy who's like coming you to. You know, I, I that's like think but Natalie Portman just asking for a totally off. different movie. I know, yeah. and that's and but like that movie is within this movie, like, and unf- but that and that's why I keep saying like there are aspects of this movie that I like. I think that even though I'm not as interested in their story, which is like the A story of the movie, I think Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman do an incredible job. But yeah, like I'm sitting here watching this movie and it's like every once in a while this like much better movie comes on and then like someone switches the channel back to that other movie that I don't care about that much. And so that's, you know, it's, it's again like that's kind of why I was like I'm not as into this, but it's not a bad movie and there there is a movie here that other people will want to see, but I am not that person. You know. So, so I I did <laughs> feel myself less compelled by the Natalie Portman you know, I just kept thinking like why is she in this scene why is she why was she invited to this moment in these people's lives like why is she at the graduation dinner you know stuff like that that just felt like a little bit of a um a convenience or a screenwriter construction that otherwise doesn't really make sense um but to me there is payoff at the end which we haven't even really talked about which is the monologue of the love letter that Joe gives her, I guess Gracie doesn't know that he kept it and she asked him to burn it. And he, for some reason, thinks it was a good idea to give this to um, Elizabeth. And then Elizabeth has this moment where she stares directly at the camera, does her best Gracie impression. The first time we really see her acting as Gracie in any meaningful way, and then delivers this, I don't know, it's like a five minute Mm. rereading or retelling of this uh, love letter that is teeming with just like it first of all it's a great performance um right. it it's unsettling to the point of disturbing um there's a sort of cutesiness to it that i don't want to call it endearing because i don't mean that in like a in a positive, it's like endearing in a derogatory way. <laughs> <laughs> endearing, not complimentary. Yeah, exactly. Um, I know, just to me, it's an incredible scene. And if Natalie Portman does get an Oscar nom or any kind of awards recognition, I think this is the scene that pe- that's going to stand out in people's minds. Yes. And what's funny about that is um, the how that monologue is then reframed with the final punchline of like, Oh, the movie she's making is not good. I always, Oh yeah. For me, it's, it's always interesting when I see one of these things where you, you get a glimpse of like the act of making a movie. Cause I'm never sure if it's like 
supposed to be bad or if it just looks bad because I'm not seeing like what the camera is seeing. Like when when I, I watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood the other day and whenever they're acting, the the movie switches to that movie that you're watching. Like, you know, you're not watching someone behind a camera watching the scene and that helps for you to buy like, oh, Rick Dalton is actually like killing it in this scene. Like, and in this, I'm like, I almost was like, I, it, I just couldn't, like, it seemed like it was bad. <laughs> and it seemed yes. like every new time she was doing it was getting worse and like further from whatever truth there might have been in that first take. And uh-huh. then of course she's like, oh, I, I think I'm getting it. Can we do more? And I'm like, no, you've gone from like emotionally stunted woman to now you're like being sultry and sexy and stuff and that's like you know and so and they got a crazy no (laughs) yeah who looks like he's like 17 or 18 oh it's bonkers it's bonkers and she's like oh you've seen the pictures of him when he was like 13 he was much like sexier than that i'm like oh my god okay okay (laughs) but like yeah what you're saying is like you you get that read you know like you said kyle like you get the read of the letter and it's like really well done and then it, but it like is totally undercut by seeing this like weird neon lit, like, here you hold the snake. I can't do <laughs> It's not a dangerous snake. <laughs> it's not going to bite. Oh, um, so good. Anyway, yeah. So, like, uh, yeah, it, it's, it, I don't know, Kyle, like, how do you, how do you, how, do, so how do you read the, the dialectic between those two? I think um, it's connected to how, like, the constant, how these two people's constant search for truth or, like, um, evasion of it ultimately doesn't matter because we're just going to keep, like, replaying and regurgitating our um, our worst, like, our worst traumas and our worst impulses in, like, increasingly more deranged ways. I think that it is intentionally bad. Like... I think the movie is bad because she is not a very good actor. Um, and we, ha- I think we've been sort of living in her subjectivity for a majority of the film. And then once it pulls back, it's just like, oh, you're the fact that you are so desperate to try to like solve this just is speaks to your own damage. You mean the star of Nora's arc is not a good actress? I know. Shocking, isn't so, it? But, like, people have pointed out that, like, I, I, Julianne Moore, I think, started on... Oh, crap. Now I can't remember which soap opera. I don't think this is an indictment of soap operas or anything, but right. I do think it is a and, way... like, Milton was on Riverdale, right? Like, you know, it, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it just is a little much to be like, oh, the star of Nora's arc can't act. But, like, maybe she can. I, I I don't know. She I, gives that the letter reading is fucking phenomenal. If that yeah. is the literal truth of what she's able to do, then she totally can act. The problem is just that like she's not doing it right in the moment. Like uh-huh. her her actorly impulse to try to make it sexy is that she's actually like she found well, it's the a truth, terrible but is script. actively avoiding it. I don't Although know. She's I, yeah, producing I, the film. She is producing the film. I mean, she apparently yeah. apparently liked the script. I don't know, like you know. Maybe it's, it's like one of those movies that's produced by a a name, but is actually like really shitty, like the Alec Baldwin movie, the one where he killed someone. Yeah, like well, my point being, like 
he's a he he's the reason that that movie probably got greenlit. Mm-hmm. But for all accounts, it was like a fucking mess behind the scenes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I like that it is. I like that it has that. I I I understand why um why one would be drawn towards like the more emotionally sincere film about Charles Melton. But I do like that the that the foil to that is this game of you know persona crafting that these two other adult people are doing as it kind of shows this this dialogue between like the the identities that we have to create and the identities that are made for us. Yeah, I do think there's something more sort of literary about that, but I didn't I just didn't find myself as gripped by that portion of the story and, and you know, I say this with like I really like the movie, so you know, my my quibbles are pretty minor. I just like anytime Natalie Portman was on screen, I just kind of felt like you know get back to like this family (laughs) drama so what's interesting to me is like i think that i i would enjoy a movie where it's like natalie portman comes in and because she is an actor she's not you know because she says like oh we had our wedding and like insider paid for it and also helped with like the house and everything you know like it's there's a there is a difference when like you know you're putting on a facade to a journalist or something and it's almost like you're doing like propaganda and you're very controlling your own image but when you lend your image to someone else and they're trying to dig in in a way that feels less threatening than a journalist but is actually a lot more intimate the way that that could split things open that you hadn't felt before. And so mm-hmm. like, I, mm-hmm. I like the idea of an actor coming in and then being like, Oh, this is great. This is a chance for like our story to be told in a way that like is much less sensational is a lot more deeper felt. But then you start to realize that like, actually the sensationalism was the only thing that was keeping us together mm-hmm. in like a psychological unit or whatever, because like the truth of this is so much worse. And we mm-hmm. can't say like, well, it's the, you know, the certain type of person will say like, well, a journalist is just going to tell like a sensational story to sell newspapers. But this artist is trying to get to the truth of it. But then you suddenly realize like, oh, there's no way for this to ever look good. Mm-hmm. And I would find that to be like the interesting way to do this. But like because it then pivots to just this weird kind of back and forth, this metatextual thing, it, it to me just didn't didn't land as well. Fair enough. Yeah, and it's, it's and it's kind of a shame because like there's like I said there's a lot to recommend in this even coming from my like I don't know what Robin you said your husband does a four star but he only ever gives a three point five <laughs> so like me I guess it would be a two point five out of the three point five out of four like, <laughs> 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 aka a three star out of four in my opinion. Oh my god. Yeah, I don't know. Like, you know, it's it's just this thing where like there's nothing aside from the music where I'm like this is poorly done. And even the music, I'm like clearly this is a choice they're making. Like this isn't an accident. Right. It's like um cilantro. Yeah. 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 Either I got you're with the it gene or you're that makes it. me taste soap in a lot of this. No, movie. but I okay, everything I read about cilantro though, like 
yeah, you can say like, oh, I'm just one of the unlucky ones, but people can work their way out of it. Like well, if you give I yourself gotta... small doses of cilantro, then you may learn to like it because I, this happened to me. I was one of those, it would taste like soap people. Then well, moved to LA. I'll, I'll rewatch May, December in discreet 10 to 15 minute chunks. Yeah, when, exactly. When did you move to LA? I lived in LA right after college. So oh, okay. 2011, 2012. Oh, yeah. L.A. feels like a real cilantro town. Yeah. It Well, yeah, it kind of has to be. If everything I I've, to love it. If everything I've read in the shards is to be believed. Um. <laughs> so, okay, I have a question. And I I think I want to make this a regular segment. Oh, but who oh, are you in the Doc's movie? Is it your mom? What? <laughs> remember, when, <laughs> remember when we had a, a guest on and he was like my mom's letterbox? And we were like, oh, yeah. Find your mom. And we said we were going to have a. A segment called Dox Your Mom, yeah. where we have people plug their parents' social media. Uh, I don't know, Kyle. Do you, <laughs> you, you want to dox, dox your, your mom? mom? Um, my I don't know what my mother's social media is. Um, we only we we have a uh, uh, um, dysfunctional relationship, but I know mm-hmm. that she's on Facebook. Do you have any other immediate family members that you'd like to have people? Um, yeah, your docs, oh, your oh, choice. Okay, okay. Um, I'm going to dox. Your mom just sounds better, I'm, but like it's I'm any- going <laughs> to I'm going to I'm going to dox my mama, I guess. Um and like my uh um, Fong Lei, my my one of my best friends. She's based in London. She works at Movie actually. Oh nice. Um but um her, I, I think on on the artist formerly known as Twitter, she is at small and artless. <laughs> Um, I or like the artist for Fung, P-H-U-O-N-G-H-L-E. Um, so I'm I'm da- I'm da- doxing my my mom in that way. Is this like there your w- queer mom? Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. We, okay. So there was a time in which I would have defended the idea that like maybe it's through irony and artifice that we can engage with the true terror and um moral um quandaries of this of this story. Um, and that that was that camp was the vehicle to do that. That camp was, even though it were, it it gave us a little bit of an out, that it was still you know a vessel through which to um, emotionally be share this this story with another person. Um, I think that's often why I attribute, or or often why Valley of the Dogs is sort of attributed as being camp or campy. It's because like these women's lives are are really deranged and fucked up because of um, the way that they get involved in the industry and whatnot. And the only way to sort of process that is to sort of like find and point out it's more aberrant and sort of incongruous qualities. However, because that perspective and that way of engaging with the world and engaging with culture has just become sort of the norm, I understand why it is why one may feel somewhat uncomfortable, um, especially with the way that Netflix has handled um, its uh, the film's rollout and the way that it, um, it can be so sort of easily memed and um, uh, taken out of context and sort of um, not directly thought or 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 the the viewer doesn't have to directly like confront the like how abominable and sad this story is but i hope that in the process that as they are watching the movie if they get to the end if they like have the experience of like 
actually going on the journey with all these characters, however despicable or tragic that they might be in, whatever cinematic techniques are being used to sort of mess with their own proximity or of identification with any of these people, that they will come out realizing that, yes, Charles Melton is the heart and that that humanity does is is still worthwhile and um can be held um in it can can be held at the same time as it's sort of like weirder and more and kitschier moments i guess very well put especially the part where you talk about how shitty netflix is it <laughs> like i'm sure we're all thinking right now of their twitter thing where they yeah. quote oh what was that movie and the twitter thread Someone else. So there's so oh, many God. examples where that where Netflix has has really um, messed up how they Netflix single handedly destroyed whatever chance Cuties had of doing. Anything oh my God! Yeah, because they speaking of pedophilia, it, right? Because they made it look like the type of movie that Cuties the movie would probably be against. Um, yeah. and then they for this one they 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 did like the they did the picture of the both of them in the mirror and it was like. You want to hear a story about how me and this bitch fell out? It's kind of long, but it's full of suspense. And I can't remember what that's from. Zola. That's it. Thank you. I couldn't remember the fucking name. I kept wanting to say Zoloft. And I was like, (laughs) Um, yeah, but like, that's not like this. Like, why? (laughs) Like, that's like, who, who in their marketing? Anyway. Anyway, so yes, very well played. Uh, Rob, Robin, what was the uh, the new segment you wanted to put up that's not Dr. Oh, Rob? new segment? Who are you in the movie? Oh, fuck. <laughs> Damn it. Okay. I think, wait, and I want to guess other people. So Speaking of identification. I yeah. think, Kyle, not to be so, like, essentializing, but I think you're Georgie because you like hot mess. I do. Yeah. I do. Georgie is... Uh, because we haven't really talked about this character, but Gracie has children from her first marriage and they all live in the same town and her grandchildren are the same age as her children who are graduating high school. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of mess about just people seeing each other all the time. And her child, Georgie was the same age as Joe when she molested him. Yes. Um, And he's a great uh, presence in this movie. Corey Michael yeah. Smith with that be- bleach blonde hair. Mm-hmm. Being he's real like, mean to his drummer. Really mean. Yeah. <laughs> mean and messy. And then tells Natalie Portman that his mother was um, abused by her brothers. Yeah. And that may or not may or may not be true. All right. So do you do you agree with this, Kyle? Are you willing to accept yeah, yeah. Georgie as your yeah, avatar? I accept it. I would absolutely say something like, you know, I could if you have like a role on set for me, like music supervisor. I will I sell out my family's story. <laughs> All right. So Rob, I who, am... who am I? <laughs> oh, who are you? Yeah, um you were gonna name us. I was not prepared for this, so I haven't had a chance to think. So Oh, it is a good question. You are the ex-husband who just can't make heads or tails of what happened, but is resentful of everything that did. <laughs> See, that's not fair because I am an ex-husband <laughs> who's resentful <laughs> of everything that happened. Um, I was going to say, okay, I was I think say, you're less forgiving than this husband. <laughs> oh, yeah. He is shockingly cool. Like, yeah. he's just like, yeah, 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 y
Who could say? It's really weird. You know, she was always, no, I was going to say either him or the guy who like was her lawyer, I guess. And like, was like, yeah, I went to the police station and she was like, I had an affair. And he's like, well, they don't throw people in jail for that. You know? <laughs> yeah, like, really he, yeah, I, yeah. If I were to think of myself as one person, it would probably be him. Cause he's mm-hmm. just like, can we just get to the truth? Can you just tell me what happened? Yeah. And I already mentioned this, but I am, uh, I'm not Gracie in any other way except crying about cake. Mm. Well, that doesn't seem. <laughs> <laughs> what about hot dogs? Are you always in search of more hot dogs? Oh, always. Like, yes. Robin like, I can't wait till we go concerned. to California. I am. I t- keep telling my husband, dogs. I want hot dogs. And he keeps saying, it's not summer. You're not allowed. What? I mean, not not that I'm not allowed, but I, that that's not. What? First of all, what? talking about being in an abusive relationship, no, you should no, be no, able no. to have I... hot dogs whenever you <laughs> Whatever want. you want. No, it's, I'm not saying Kyle that Kyle and I are going to come. We're going to bring you hot dogs. I'm saying we're not. He's not controlling anything like that. That's silly. But we we adhere to food rituals. So it is not hot dog season till it is um, Memorial Day weekend. And then you can go fucking crazy on hot dogs till like Labor Day. What are these other food rituals? Hmm. Um, We'd like to have Thanksgiving by ourselves. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's a food ritual. Um, ritual? I would think a food ritual would be like we eat popsicles backwards. Hmm. The only (laughs) corn pops that we eat in our house are ice cream that have corn in them what what ice cream that has corn (laughs) yeah like like at h mart you can get like corn ice cream i've never in like popsicle form the craziest thing i've ever heard yeah i don't know we have tons of food rituals we're just weird looking at corn ice cream we live in boston (laughs) we live in the boston area Anyway, uh, what was I telling you? This? So when you say corn ice cream, do you mean like corn flavored corn ice cream? Yeah, with like little bits of corn in it. All right, I'm seeing corn flavored ice corn. It's ice good. Cream. It's corn, corn is sweet. Corn so bread. I'm wondering, oh, you know what? I'd love to do now that I'm thinking about this. I'd love to use the bloody butcher red corn that I used to make my whiskey and make an ice cream out of it, and then I can uh, make like a frappe in the summer. You should. That sounds delicious. I might do that, and I would totally eat that. Statutory um, frappe. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Woof. <laughs> Let's um, not. <laughs> but I am, I am constantly in search of hot dogs, and I told my husband like one thing I'm really looking forward to about going to California for Christmas is that we are definitely going to be going to Costco because that is so the place that I, we have gone more than any other place. You in need California. to come to my house because I have too many hot dogs. I, I. Yeah, but what, I'm particular. Would you get Hebrew National? Uh, they're, they're okay. I, I've done many blind hot dog tastings and <laughs> the best ones are Nathan's. Like a Nathan's, Nathan's all uh, I love uh-huh, Nathan's. Uh-huh. Um, the second best are Costco. Then I right. would put a Hebrew national Okay, and I, I will like... only do all beef. If you put pork in that dog, I'm not eating it. Yes. A, a Hebrew national all beef Frank is incredible. Um, but I keep, you know, at Costco you get like, it's like five of them all shrink wrapped together. Right, mm-hmm. so it's like fifty or forty the big hot dogs. ones. I still like have never been ones. to Costco. Oh my god, I'm it's gonna slap dude. the shit out of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so like I, I get those Costco. and I bring them home, right? And I put them in the freezer and like I make them for lunch for myself or my daughter. And then I go to Costco and I'm like, 
pretty sure we're almost out of hot dogs. And then I come home and I'm like, oh no, we've only eaten one of the five packs. And then I go yeah. to Costco like two months later and I'm like, pretty sure we're out of hot dogs. <laughs> and so now no. I have too many. It's like the time I accidentally had six pounds of butter in my fridge because I kept forgetting that I bought butter at Costco. We have a pounds. lot of butter for six that reason. pounds? Yeah. It's not that much if you think about it. <laughs> It's like every so I get the Kerrygold Irish butter. No one's listening anymore. I'm very into the and it comes in like yes. four half pound bricks. So mm-hmm. you know if you accidentally buy it three times, you've got six pounds of butter on your fridge. Yeah, it, but it goes. I mean, if, especially if you're a baker. Oh yeah, yeah. No, mm-hmm. it, it goes pretty quickly. So and you know my daughter, she loves the uh, the mac and cheese and the craft mac mm-hmm. and cheese. You got to put mm-hmm. the butter in, it, so it's fine. Classic. Also, I use a lot of cast iron. You know, you got to grease that up. Butter's mm-hmm, pretty good mm-hmm, for that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Any final thoughts on May December? Um, I, 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 I'm coming out. I still, I, I think this has been like a very uh, good and generative conversation, but it still just like <laughs> presses up against these pleasure points for me of things that I've been interested in as a writer and as a queer person as a. Um, as a f- film buff about, you know, artificiality and melodrama and performance and identity and um, sex and the way that sex and power operate within uh, a a cultural landscape that regurgitates the same thing over and over again, often at the expense of other people. It just, it I think it's, it does it in such a, um, a slick and sharp way um, that uh, it, it's, one of my faves and snakes and snakes the snake doesn't bite (laughs) (laughs) i can't even remember what her actual line is yours gracie oh god oh god uh anyway um so that's yeah i think that's a good place to stop yeah (laughs) yeah I think we're all. I think we're all. I was going to ask robin for any final thoughts and then i was like no no let's not give her that kyle nailed it (laughs) Hot dogs. Hot dogs. Got to worry we don't have enough hot dogs. Um, <laughs> bah, bum, 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 bum. Why did I go Phantom of the Opera? <laughs> All right. Anyway, we're done. Um, so happy, Kyle, that you decided to join us once more. We hope you'll do it again at some of point. Of course. Thank Killer. you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Thank you for letting me ramble about camp. Oh, my God. I could listen to you ramble about camp for forever until it, <laughs> it itself became campy. Um don't forget, everyone at home, to go to patreon.com slash to give us your money and access our Slack channel where we talk about random shit all the time, um, including cooking. Um, what else? Uh, movie.com slash filmstage. You can watch Age of Innocence, which uh, was one of the weirdest hinges to a lot of odd opinions that we've ever had on this <laughs> podcast. And that wasn't even a part of the actual podcast. It was part of an ad read. So go check that out and form an opinion. Um, and let us know what you think. Uh, emails podcastfilmstage.com. Let's tell the fine people at home, or actually, Robin, what are we talking about next? I think we're doing The Boy and the Heron. Ooh. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting one. Yeah, yeah. Excited. All right. Uh, now we can tell the fine people at home where you can be found between now and the next time. We start with our guest, Kyle Turner. Where can people find your work online? You can find me on the artist formerly known as Twitter at Tyler Kerner, T Y L E K U R N E R. It's just a spoonerism of my name. Very creative. Um, I'm also on Instagram with that and Letterboxd. Um, and uh, you can find me writing around at 
GQ and W Magazine. And I actually did a, I interviewed Todd Haynes about May, December for, about May, December for Slant Magazine. And I interviewed Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman for Paper Magazine. Um, so That's those so out. much primary information. <laughs> Was so there anything I, particularly awesome they said that you want to spit out to kind of tease people about your work? Um, Todd Haynes um, talked about the way in which we create these hierarchies of like what what kind of image or what kind of um, drama is more uh, is of more cultural or emotional value than the other. So talking about like how the end of the movie is bad and how the like lifetime version of it that we see in the background is like crappy versus what we're watching there. Like how do we create these hierarchies and what do they mean to us as far as how we're getting this information about something as like complex as this central power, uh, central relationship dynamic is. All right. That's awesome. All right. Everyone go check that shit out. Robin Barr, what about yourself? Uh, you can find me on the platform formerly known as Twitter at R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R. Um, I'm at the same username on Letterboxd. And you can sometimes check my writing out at thehollywoodreporter.com. All right. And uh, you can find me at um, X, the place to watch Twitter. The <laughs> Just toppling two different calamitous rebrands on top of one another um at brian j rowan i'm on everything at brian j rowan instagram uh letterboxd all of that michigas um what else i think that's about it find my writing and oh my whiskey go to inkwellwhiskey.com if you want to learn more about that whiskey i talked about when we were talking about corn ice cream for some reason and go to thefilmstage.com to find my writing and to find every episode of this here podcast ever created so ladies and gentlemen thank you so much and tune in next time